Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 68, NASA in Hollywood. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. So if you're familiar with us, this is where we bring in scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know the coolest information about what's going on right here at NASA. We explore a lot of uh, topics about human spaceflight and dive deep into all of these subjects. But NASA is not just scientists and engineers. It's full of all kinds of disciplines. And today we're talking about a unique side of NASA with some very special guests. Today we're bringing in Bob Jacobs, Bert Ulrich, and Bill Barry. Bob, Bert, and Bill. Promise we didn't even plan that. But they are some pretty important people here at NASA, uh, based at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. So Bob Jacobs is the Acting Associate Administrator of Communications. He's essentially in charge of uh, communications and PR for the agency. Bert Ulrich is the Multimedia Liaison, Film and TV Collaborations. He oversees NASA's engagement in film and television projects and uh, is also responsible for the agency's identity, including uh, the insignia, the logo that you see whenever you think about NASA. Bill Barry is NASA's chief historian. He's pretty much in charge of the history department of the entire agency. <laughs> uh, so for today's episode, I connected remotely with this power trio in Washington to talk about NASA in Hollywood. Have you noticed how have there been so many uh, space movies and shows lately? A lot of times these guys are hands-on with those movies, helping to make sure that they have all the right permissions and information and to make the movie the best that it can be. And we'll get into detail about how that works. You may already know that the movie First Man came out in theaters recently, the movie about Neil Armstrong and the journey to the historic moon landing. The creators and cast of that movie worked pretty closely with us here at NASA. So close that they were actually here at the Johnson Space Center to learn about our culture and to try to make the story of the moon landing as accurate as possible. They also visited uh, the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Bob Jacobs actually sat down with some of those folks from First Man, including actors and actresses Ryan Gosling, Claire Foy, Patrick Fugit, Lucas Haas, and Olivia Hamilton. Screenwriter Josh Singer and author James Hansen and director Damien Chazelle and the family of the historic NASA astronauts, including Rick and Mark Armstrong and Bonnie White Bear. He discusses uh, working closely with them and how their perspective changed about human spaceflight after researching this movie. We'll play some clips during those interviews uh, uh, on today's episode. So with no further delay, let's jump right ahead to our talk with Bob Jacobs, Bert Ulrich, and Bill Barry, and the cast and crew of the First Man movie. Enjoy. Minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light circuit for red. Here she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. Bob, Bert, and Bill, thanks for joining me today on Houston. We have a podcast. Thank you. No, thank you. That's great. Glad we're here. Very honored. Very honored to be talking to all of you today. I actually can't believe that I'm talking to all three of you at the same time. This is uh, this is pretty cool. But this is an interesting and unique topic for the show because, first of all, I, I didn't even think about bringing all of this together. But it's so important, especially now with all the movies coming out. And Bob, especially recently, you got to speak with the cast and crew, the uh, writers, the director even of uh, First Man. And we're definitely going to get into that. But before we do, I did want to start with sort of an overall approach, how we're working with Hollywood, how we're working with um, uh, filmmakers just in general and just why we're doing it in the first place. Bob, you have the best perspective, I think, as the acting associate administrator for communications. Why are we doing this? Well, I think it just provides us another avenue through which 
we can tell NASA's story. I, I, yeah, and I think Bert has the the total here. I think last year was a record year with yeah. over 145 documentaries and films. That's correct. I think it's 143 documentaries, 25 features, films, and. 41 TV programs. So they, so they give us, you know, they just give us extra avenues through which to tell our story on top of kind of the traditional means that we have to communicate across NASA with the website, news releases, social media, that sort of thing. So it's like a, is it a different audience? Is that the, is that the idea? It's just a different group of people to listen to this message. Well, it may be people who normally don't receive or are or kind of built in to yeah. get a NASA message. You know, someone might go see The Martian just because of the topic and because it's Matt Damon and because it's an exciting movie, but don't realize or, or don't necessarily follow NASA and know that we've got two rovers around Mars and we're about to put another lander on Mars. So it, it just gives us access to uh, an additional audience. Yeah, and I think it's got to be important, right? Because, Bert, your title is literally Multimedia Liaison Film and TV Collaborations. We have a person dedicated to working on this, and it sounds like it's for a good reason. How many? 143? That is unbelievable in a single year. Yeah, I think the documentary world is really the better bread and butter of, of how we yeah. work with that industry. But um, but features are really important, too. I mean, we've had a real boon, I think, in the last couple of years between The Martian, Hidden Figures, and First Man that we were all involved with. Yep. Those films have really propelled us forward also in the eyes of, of, of the film and TV communities. So how do you choose? How do you know which ones are the good ones to latch on to? I th- I, you know, I, I think yeah. there, there are two things. Number one, I think it is subjective. Uh, it hmm. has to do with uh, the quality of the director, the, uh, the studio, uh, if they have a history. And there's this thing that we kind of look at each other and go, is it, you know, is it feasible fiction? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the, hmm. and, and that's kind of that's kind of our guiding our guiding principle. And uh, if, if we believe that it isn't so far out there, and they've got a uh, a legacy of of successful productions, then it's something we may decide to uh, get involved with. And I think historical productions are a lot easier in some ways because we have something to hone in on that we can actually yeah. really concentrate in trying to get it as right as we possibly can from our perspective. Of course, there's a lot of artistic license involved as well. But fiction is another thing. Like if with sci-fi, I think that's another area that we do get involved with, but, but we are a little bit more careful about how we can actually hone in on, on those subjects, which are a little more really sci-fi fictional out there stuff. Yeah, I guess, so is it kind of that you want to, you know, if you're going to work with someone and spend the time and resources to work with a company who's trying to make a film and tell a story, to tie NASA's brand to it. Ultimately, the NASA brand is a a powerful thing. It's something we kind of have to keep track of. So you want that to be representative of what you want to portray NASA being. Is that kind of the idea? I think somewhat. I mean, I think we don't want to be misleading to the public. So if we actually have our brand on something, it means that we're, we're really involved. I mean, there are other movies like Life where they created their own NASA logo where we weren't involved with that picture. Um, but something like The Martian or, or Hidden Figures and First Man, of course, we were very much involved with and we did allow our logos to be used. 
And that's that historical part of things. So, Bill, once once we see this historical feature uh, coming up, what are you doing to uh, help out and make sure that the history is well represented? Well, I'm, I'm usually dreading when Bert appears at my doorway with a script <laughs> in his hand because there's a lot of work involved in, in, in taking a look at the, the script. But, you know, we, particularly with the features that we've been doing lately, um, the big thing is that... Uh, is that they at least have some respect for the history and that they don't go too far off the deep end. It, it, these things are not documentaries that feature films, and we have to keep that in mind, that, that they're, they're going to do some things with the timeline or facts and stuff to, 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 to put their artistic spin on the story. Uh, Hidden Figures was, for example, uh, they were meticulous about details, uh, but they, they compressed about... 20-odd years of history into what appeared to be two years, uh, particularly with the civil rights changes that happened at Langley. Uh, that stuff started happening in 1943, not in 1961. So um, so is that an acceptable thing for them to do? Uh, that's one of those things that we really sort of look at and we struggle with, and, and Bob and Bert and I talk about that sort of stuff all the time. And the main thing is that these filmmakers are really re receptive, I think. When, when you came in, for instance, with Ted Melfi, I think we gave you the script and you were like, do you really want me to go through this? And we are like, yeah, sure. That'd be great. So I think you had a call with Ted and, and it ended up being a call that took many, many, many hours. Yeah, Bert came by and he goes, I, I, I said, I gave Bert back all my comments on the script and it was, I commented on virtually every line in the script for Hidden Figures, the first version of the script that we saw. And, wow. uh, and I sent I sent it to Bert and I thought, well, I'm done with that. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and suddenly, they, the ship sailed. About, <laughs> yeah. about, about two days later, Bert shows up my door. He goes, um, Ted wants to talk to you. <laughs> And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, he's on the phone. Let me, let me patch him through. Um, and Ted says, uh, do you got a couple minutes? I go, yeah. And four hours later, um, we, we hung up. Um, and then he called back the next day. So, um, and, and that happens across a lot of the films. I know when yeah. we had uh, a number of issues with the first draft of First Man. Yeah. And, uh, hmm. and we uh, set up, uh, was it Josh? Yeah, Josh yeah. Singer. And yep. we set up Josh with uh, Michael Collins, Jim Lovell, uh, other people who who had a, a real personal knowledge of Neil uh, so they could kind of touch on his personality, uh, some of which was missing from uh, through those uh, in those early drafts. And, you know, I was looking back at emails. I think Josh was first in touch with us in December of 14. Yeah, yeah quite and a while It's been back. a long, long journey actually for First Man. And um, they really tried to get it right. There were many iterations of that script, I think. Yeah, Josh Josh really knew his stuff. I mean, he was, you know, it's asking me questions that, uh, uh, you know, it took a bit of research on my part for and that he, he largely already knew the answers to. But the, the thing that I don't think he really got was um, uh, the whole test pilot personality about how they can uh, compartmentalize. And so uh, early versions mm. of the script sort of had uh, Neil being uh, coming off as, as very cold uh, in a way. And, and that's really wasn't his personality, just that he, like, like all test focused. pilots, he was, he was focused and was able to compartmentalize. And, and I think the, the final version of the movie does a much better job of, of uh, showing, you know, the, the, the rounder parts of uh, of Neil Armstrong's personality, not just the, you know, the the sort of um, you know test pilot adaptation to dealing with stress. So, so that's a hard thing to sort of to sort of uh, 
I don't know, capture, to, to capture that sort of personality. So what are we doing on our end? Like, are you going through old footage and, and transcripts and everything to really capture and, or, or, or I don't know, uh, interviews about Neil's personality? How are we capturing this, this uh, personality trait on, uh, in history? Well, this one was unique in that uh, all three of us had a relationship with Neil. Yeah. Uh, that, oh, that helps. That dated back decades yep. uh, in some instances. So, uh, you know, so we, we had an idea going in, and I think that each of us felt a, a responsibility, uh, not necessarily to protect him, but there's not a lot of content out there about Neil. So uh, those of us who knew him wanted to make sure that those personality elements were reflected. And then, of course, where our experience falls short, there are still people out there who knew Neil from those early days. And that's why we set him up with uh, people like Jim Lovell and Mike Collins. Mm -hmm. So that's one of those uh, artistic elements that you were talking about, how to balance the history with the art that needs to be that needs to be a part of the storytelling. Um, but you know, how do you decide what what do you what do you want to explore in an artistic fashion, and what needs to re- be represented as as history? Well, ultimately, that's you know the writer and the director and the and the production team are the ones deciding yeah. you know what their vision of the film is, and and, and clearly with First Man, uh, they wanted to tell a story that's different from the typical story about the Apollo program, um, you know, and more um, get into you know, the life of Neil Armstrong and, and how he. You know, dealt with the challenges in the program, him and his family. Yeah, um, and the other thing with that script is the first iteration we got, I think, Bob, you actually talked to Rick and Mark um, to sort of make sure that they knew that this picture was happening, and they were contacting them, but we wanted to make sure that the family was also involved, and they were very much involved along the journey as well. Yeah, that's uh, and this one was tough. I mean, movies like Gravity or Interstellar or The Martian... Um, you know, there there aren't family members who are who are alive, and it's not really dealing with the historic aspects of the agency. And for mm-hmm. us, again, kind of feeling a a little protective of of Neil's legacy. You know, we wanted to make sure that the family was on board because mm-hmm. that could have created all sorts of problems for us if it was something that we supported and the family didn't, or if you took it the other way and it was something that. Uh, the family uh, did support, and we didn't. So it, I think it was important for us to all get to a point that everyone felt good about what was being produced. And the amazing yeah. thing about Josh, too, is that he worked with, I mean, I think Mike Collins looked at a script. He had other astronauts look at scripts, and they helped him as he sort of you know, chipped away at trying to get as much of a reality as he could with the film, given the mm. constraints of a film. Yeah, so that's that's the challenge, right? Is uh, is understanding? It, it sounds like there's a few extra steps when it comes to those historical features because you know fiction is one thing, and you want to represent the information accurately with a little artistic flair. But when it comes to real people in the real world, yes, they need to absolutely be involved. You know, uh, and and there's an interesting story uh, with hidden figures that uh, Bill, I'll, I'll try not to tell it all so you can tell it, but it has to do with that scene where, uh, where Catherine Johnson uh, runs across the uh, whites-only restrooms and, uh, and the film has her walking across the parking lot. And hmm. Yeah, in, in reality, that, that actually never happened to Catherine Johnson. She 
she the building that she worked in didn't have a segregated restroom uh, most of the time. So, um, but that did huh. actually happen to other people. Um, so I think the movie's true to the history in that um, you know it, it it deals with something that actually happened to real people, even if it didn't actually happen to Katherine Johnson. Um, yeah, and, and also those kind of compromises where you know typically we'll flag things like that on the script and say, hey, you know, do you re- you do realize this didn't really happen? Uh, and, uh, and 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 usually we'll have a nice conversation with the, the either the director or the script writer or somebody about uh, you know what you know what's this mean and, and is this you know is this within the bounds of, of you know what we consider acceptable? And normally those conversations are are very you know positive and productive. And I, I we've never had a problem with somebody saying no. We we insist on doing this the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and for that matter, you know, from our perspective, we also recognize it's a movie. It's you know, it's not a documentary, and so it's many people take it as fact. But uh, uh, so we, we're serious about making sure it's not too far out of the bounds. But uh, but there is there is you know room for for some fuzz on the beach. And we even yeah. try in some cases in more fictional scenarios like The Martian, Jim Green, our, who was in charge of planetary science for NASA, is now our chief scientist. He worked a lot with Ridley on that script. And that script basically had a, you know, had a dust storm on Mars, which was mm. very violent. And it wasn't really characteristic of how it is like on Mars. So he suggested a lightning storm, but they didn't really want to do that. And, you know, you have to understand that there is a drama that's sort of unfolding. You have to respect that to a certain degree, too, and find that balance. Yeah, and I think even Andy Weir was uh, was pretty respectful of that and understood that that was a constraint and that it was not real. He understood the science behind it, but he did want that man versus, uh, will. I guess, I don't know, elements, yeah. survival um, element to it. But let's uh, let's go into the nitty gritty because I think this is interesting. You're talking about uh, working with the uh, filmmakers themselves, uh, mostly from sort of an advisory perspective. You know, you 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 give them the information is is what it sounds like. This actually didn't happen, and then you sort of work with them to actually determine how to tell that story. Uh, tell tell me how it works. Someone someone submits a script, and then you and then you start Correct. doing calls, or you go out to the shoot. How does this work? No, it starts off that we we actually only get involved with with projects which have funding and distribution in place because we get so many requests that we have to prioritize those that will really have Uh. a guaranteed audience. So that's the first sort of rung that people have to get through and and they usually do. That's why we've been able to sort of, we've been very lucky we've been able to sort of pick at really wonderful projects. Um, Mm -hmm. We're not able to do absolutely everything that comes our way, but we're able to do an awful lot. Um, So we'll first get something for a documentary, a treatment, or for a picture, a script, and we'll we'll look at those and we'll vet that depending on the subject matter. If it's historical, we'll bring it to Bill Barry. Bob looks at basically everything, and if it's um, hmm. if it's less, you know, something more about science or something, we'll send it over to those scientists, and then they'll sort of look at it, and we'll go back and forth and have a discussion. And then based on that, I guess we we kind of see what they want. You know, every project has its own life. I mean, hmm. they're they're all a little different. And sometimes they want to shoot on site, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just want, you know, some of our assets to use to help them build sets or costumes. So it really runs the gamut. They all want to use the Mastiff trainer, though. That's right. (laughs) Which, which of course, doesn't exist anymore. But um, yeah. (laughs) What's that one? The yeah, that that one that the spinning thing where they put the the Mercury one that that, uh, spins around in multiple (laughs) axes. 
Uh, oh, yeah. If you've seen First Man, you'll have seen the Mastiff in action. Uh, <laughs> and every now and then we get an opportunity to influence it. And, and yep. one of those stories is uh, Sharknado. Yes. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, oh. after, after, yeah, because Sharknado was one of those examples. You know, now I think they're up to like Sharknado 22 or something. But, <laughs> but when Sharknado first came out, it was one of those interesting second screen events where it was as much about the online conversation as it was about the film and after sharknado 2 uh, uh, bert and i got together and it's like oh we got to call the producers they've they, they've done everything except put the sharks in space and, uh, <laughs> and sure enough the producers came up with something and uh, you know that that was a case of you know you've got to suspend the seriousness and and embrace the you know, kind of the pop culture fun part of what we do. And uh, so we ended up with the Sharknado 3 with David Hasselhoff as a shuttle commander uh, as part of that. So it's it's a little bit of both. Uh, sometimes it is those serious big projects that come in, and sometimes it's, uh, hey, let's call so-and-so and, and see what, uh, what they think about uh, space. Or we develop a relationship like with Michael Bay. I mean, he worked with us on Armageddon, and then later he came to us for Transformers 3, and then again with Transformers 5. So we've been able to sort of nurture those relationships, and people like to come back sometimes. Yeah, yeah, with with prominent voices in, in filmmaking, too, and, and all, different, yeah. all different voices, you know, whether it's serious, whether it's action, historical, or even <laughs> Sharknado, if it's funny. Yeah. So yeah, no. That, I, but how um, how do you determine? You know, it it sounds like it sort of has this sort of barrier, this front line of defense. They come to you, and you decide whether or not you're going to pursue it, and then how much resources you want to put into it. Whether you're going to just do Correct. an advisory, or whether you're going to go out. Um, so how is that determined? Is it is it so, really subjective? Yeah. Well, it it depends on what they need. So basically, if they need to shoot on site, we usually do something called a space act agreement, which is a reimbursable legal agreement. So mm. then the government gets reimbursed for costs incurred, incurred beyond something that would be like a normal media shoot for a documentary. So mm. um, so we make sure that's that's done and those those boxes are checked. And that's more bureaucratic. And the studios are used to that going back and forth with us and our lawyers. And then we just kind of go full force. We, we try to get people technical experts like Bill Barry and mm -hmm. or or we'll, we'll give our assets. We have really a great team of archivists that are out there uh, being able to provide photo materials and 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 footage and 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 they just kind of go to town now everyone is regardless of whether we're involved or not with a production everyone does have access to our our, our film and 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 footage archives um, irrespective of, of of our level of involvement so that's actually a nice thing to give back to taxpayers yeah, no, that's huge. I, I'm, and I personally get a lot of those requests, especially with historical space station stuff. And I think it's, uh, I think it's important to sort of deliver that. But then there's a lot of it, especially on our side, that uh, has not been digitized yet. You know, yep. uh, technology evolves, mm -hmm. and we didn't start recording everything to digital up front. And it takes a lot of energy and time to to uh, digitize everything. And that's really that's really hard, especially with um, with all the other stuff going on and all the other responsibilities. And a lot of times the studios will will take that on for us I you know I can think oh, of any cool. number of projects like yep. IMAX uh, and uh, gosh what yes, other I mean also just recently we're working on a project with for a CNN documentary yeah and... on Apollo 11 and and the folks behind that documentary have, um, have 
worked on an arrangement with the National Archives and with us to get uh, as original copies as they can of some of that non-digitized material. They're digitizing it for their film, and then they'll give it back to us in digital format uh, for our use later. So it's a it works out to be a, a, a really nice exchange. And we've worked on over eight productions, I think, with, with IMAX. They've given us footage as well to use that they've put in IMAX format. I mean, it's a wonderful sort of back and forth that we're able to... Sort of yeah, even on. with the resource constraints, you can come up with another way to meet objectives. IMAX wants footage, we want archive footage, and we can kind of share those resources. That's very important to make those relationships work. Yep. Um, you know, um, besides footage, Bert, I know like a, a big part of your job is is representing the NASA identity, and I know that's a big part of, of working with feature films as well, slapping that NASA logo on different things, and even, you know, like you said, working with other features that don't use the logo for whatever reason. So again, how is that determined? How does that process work? Uh, again, we work, again, I work with Bob on that, because Bob oversees the use of the logo as well. I kind of am okay. the designee to sort of work it hands-on. Um, but basically, we, we determine it based on, on, on whether it's feasible, whether we're not too misleading with the public. Um, and then incidental use is also something that sometimes we're able to, to sort of work on, which means if it's on a suit or on a building, that's, that's easier than any sort of branding use. We usually don't allow branding use like on the bottom of a promotional of a promotion for something, but we do allow right. incidental use. You know, uh, another interesting story that, that Bert may kick me for, for sharing, but uh, <laughs> with Gravity, you yes. know, we, we, we reached out when we heard that Gravity was being made and went all the way up to the vice president or the yep. president of yep. Sony yep. Was the uh, and president. got a very nice, polite, you know, no thank you, we've got it. And uh, so we, we weren't involved in the production until the end, in post-production, and they decided that uh, they, they wanted to reach out to us and have us involved. And, of course, uh, during the production, all the, all the logos on the spacesuits were not the NASA insignia. And, right. and they went back and digitized uh, the NASA insignia once we decided that it was something that we wanted to uh, be involved with there at the end. So, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, the directors will go in thinking, yeah, we don't we don't need your help. We, we, we've got this and uh, and we can still get involved at the back end. <laughs> and that's and, that's huge, right? Because you're talking about we we talked about reviewing for scripts and coming for proposals, but it sounds like there's a lengthy process here where we're even involved sometimes in the post production process. Yeah, and then often in the release of something. So, oh uh, wow, that also happens. Like with Interstellar, for instance, we didn't really we weren't involved in the production itself. Then later we did some outreach around it. And also the other thing is which really which is really quite wonderful is a lot of actors and directors are very much interested in space exploration when they sort of go into this area. And they're often, you know, there if we're interested to, to help us share our stories in the form of uh, public service announcements or some social media vignettes that can go out that sort of tell NASA's story. And that's really a wonderful opportunity also for, for NASA, for the agency. Yeah, we had uh, Andy Weir uh, do a number of education events, not yep. just 
public communications, NASA school events, but things that were specifically targeted for middle school students and high school students. And that was a relationship that didn't exist until we got involved with the movie. Uh, so uh, so Bert's hitting on a uh, kind of an important point is that there's a lot of activity that happens even after the film is completed that gives us the opportunity to not only you know, share the NASA is cool story about whatever the subjects are we want to discuss, but actually engage in STEM activities that are so important to, you know, kind of creating that next generation of explorer. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's an interesting point all the way through, you know, beyond reviewing the footage, post-production, but also the communications of it. And this is a this is kind of an interesting line that we have to work because, uh, Bert, you even mentioned, you know, slapping, you can't just slap the NASA uh, insignia on, you know, anything, even especially promotions. Mm -hmm. So how do we how do we work with whenever we're communicating we're at, we're at, we're at this phase of, of of sending the message out and, and getting people involved with stem how do we balance the line uh, between stem education and trying to involve new students and, and get them involved in NASA and in science and engineering but then also making sure we're not endorsing anything or crossing too many lines where that would be unethical on our side correct I think that's a, it is a fine balance I mean there are times yeah. when it's looking to like it's an endorsement then our legal office intervenes on that there are other times where you can actually have nasa be part of it without it you know endorsing because we're sharing a story our story in a way that's uh, new and innovative which is actually really good it's it's never quite easy the other thing that we do a lot with our logos are would be on merchandise and it's crazy the amount of merchandise requests we get to have the nasa meatball and now the nasa worm as well, we're, we're permitting oh, merchandise, yeah. and it's like it's like a you know a triple whammy right now. I think. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to it. It's it's interesting to find that balance. Yeah. Um, how are you doing it with uh, with First Man now? How how is that working? You mean in terms of logo use or branding or, or just in general? Well, we yeah, we've been general, putting everything. out some. I mean, Bob interviewed the cast, and yeah. um, we're doing some social media around that and and putting out various vignettes on that. And um, just generally, we just kind of work with them uh, in a way that's also run by legal, where we're able to socialize some things, less other things. And, um, and, and that's a big thing. I mean, I, 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 I can't stress enough how important social media is for the agency. And Bob is, yeah. oversees all of that, too. So I don't know if you want to talk about that, but I think we're more popular than ever. I think like over 170 million followers and it's 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 just crazy how how we're able to get out there through social media with uh you know highlighting our great assets like our our footage from 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 missions and our photos from missions and um just in general no it's it's interesting because we do because of uh i think the interest in nasa overall uh we can reach out to and engage pretty much with anyone mm -hmm. i mean we've we've created conversations with uh, not only the people who were involved in the films, but uh, people who also have, you know, even more followers than we do. I think the last time I checked, we had the 51st most popular uh, Twitter feed. You know, we've taken down two Kardashians and we we have two we, we have two to go, uh, but but you know with Justin Bieber with Ariana Grande with with other other people who who have even more followers than we do, and we're able to create conversations just because they're excited to be talking with NASA, just as much as we are excited that someone who has 
you know, those types of followers and aren't necessarily connected with space flight are interested in what we do. So is that how you define success then in our communications to involve as many people and get just get people talking about uh, space and get involved with NASA? You know that's a that's a real tough one. Measurement is always is always always hard, and and we've got you know we all have the tools to see how many impressions we made or how many people we may have reached and and things of that nature. But a lot of it is so intangible and in, in, immeasurable. You know, I, I'll do things like just walk along. You know, here in D.C., I'll just walk along the the mall and see how many kids are wearing yeah. you know t-shirts with the nasa logo on it yeah. and and things that historically people may not notice you know in commercials any commercial that has something to do with with high tech in the future typically has a nasa launch in it in some shape yeah. form or fashion you know whether it's a a fast car or 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 just something that they want to represent the future in uh, there's usually something NASA related to it I mean I really do think that we we've become a part of the American fabric for lack of a, a better term where where I think people just know that we're there and we you know we've got a challenge to get them uh, specific knowledge about you know what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it like going to the moon and onto mars and things of that nature but but it is measurement measurement is hard and i think it's one of those cases you know all each of us probably had some event in our lives that got us excited about space you know yeah. i'm i'm old enough that i'm an apollo kid so i was eight when uh when neil and buzz landed on the moon um so, you know, I think we're constantly trying to create, I know I am, in, in the outreach activities that we do, I'm looking for whatever that next inspiration moment is for a kid who would, who would say, oh, gee, I saw this and it had this impact on my life and I wanted to do X, Y, and Z in, in, in STEM fields or, or specifically exploration or just because... You know they're excited to be a nerd, and uh, and they you know and they want to share that with other people. And I think that blends in nicely to this next part. Um, you're talking about this next big thing. You talked with the cast, the writers, the directors of First Man uh, pretty recently. What was that like? I you know it's it's interesting to be a part of it because there is this churn of of Hollywood style reporters. That, that you typically see at, at these types of events, you know, and, yeah. and and I almost felt, well, I did a few times, you know, apologize to the stars. It's like, you know, I know this, you know, I know this isn't something that you guys really look forward to. I really appreciate you taking the time. <laughs> uh, but, but the thing that got me was that they were really, you know, I walked around with a pocket full of uh, NASA meatball pins, you know, the, the logo as we refer to it as the meatball for those who, who aren't aware of that. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd never seen actors more excited to receive a, you know, probably a 35 cent item in mass production, <laughs> you know, to get a Na NASA meatball pin. And I remember handing it to Ryan Gosling. It's like, you've probably seen more of this than, than you wanted. He's like, no, I'm always happy to get something else. 
Uh, <laughs> so, so they were real, you know, and he had on that day a, a denim jacket that had a huge NASA logo on the back of it. So I, it was interesting to see that everyone was really engaged. They, they, they weren't blowing it off because, okay, I've got to sit through 25 interviews today. Uh, you know, when we were, when we got them talking about these, these other things about NASA and about exploration and even about making the film, they seemed to be genuinely interested in talking about it. And Bill, you were, you were being interviewed. So, you know, you, you know what the questions were like. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's an interesting process, process when they do this sort of thing when they when they you know roll a movie out for the, the press and the media and, and they do a media day like that. Uh, lots and lots of people asking questions, but it's a great opportunity for us to, to tell our side of the story. Um, yeah, and and the question I always get as the historian is, well, how historically accurate is the movie? And uh, I always have to you know, yeah. <laughs> you know give some sort of answer to that that uh, that thing. You know, it's, and, and my answer typically is okay. It's not a documentary, but within the bounds of telling a really good story, it's you know it it, it hews the facts and the fact that they had uh, you know a great writer who who paid yep. really close attention to the facts, a director who was keen on it, the actors who were committed to it, and they had this whole panoply of advisors that that you know Bob and and Bert brought into the process. Uh, you know, former astronauts and uh, and family members who could who could advise them about the you know. The, the character of these people and what things were really like back then. I think all of that had a huge positive impact on, on making the story a better story and also uh, more accurate from our perspective. But it was interesting. You could imagine, uh, if you could, there were like five or six tents out uh, at the Kennedy Center's press site. It's 94 degrees with humidity, oh. with humidity about a thousand and a half percent. <laughs> And they told us, it's like, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll be in air-conditioned tents. <laughs> and then and I, the get out, went out. Yeah, <laughs> I get out to the first tent. Well, yeah, the power went out for a while. <laughs> and the first thing that came to mind was a line in the movie where it's, you know, you, you have to fail he down here so you don't fail up there. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but, uh, but, you know, they said, they, oh, we'd have these air-conditioned tents. And, and I got into the first tent to interview uh, Ryan and Claire and noticed that these huge tubes of A.C., were pointed at the actors. Not at the interviewers. The, the, rest, of us, the rest of us had nothing. I had one of those two pointed at me, Bob. I was okay. <laughs> and it was, it was hot. It was horribly hot. You know, and it's hard enough talking to these people without sweating, so let's just add, you know, the Florida climate on top of it. And it was just a hot, miserable time, but everyone was really good about it. Yeah, That's good. And you said they were excited too, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think yeah. that... Uh, you know, I, I, Ryan, Ryan and Claire, I, you know, they they get a lot of the questions and they get most of the attention, uh, mm. but and and they gave good answers. But I really got to the childlike enthusiasm uh, by the time I got to you know the director Damien Chazelle, yeah. Josh Singer, uh, you know, uh, uh, Patrick Fujit, yeah. And then Patrick, Lucas Haas, Lucas Haas, yeah, uh, th Lucas, th yeah. yeah, those two were really, really. Uh, excited about uh, playing the roles and really excited about space flight. So, uh, you know, it, everyone was just genuinely uh, thrilled, uh, I think, to uh, to be involved with something that uh, that was related to us. 
And it was really well, interesting too, because some in some situations, I mean, Lucas Haas, Haas was at Kennedy Space Center meeting Mike Collins. So did Corey yeah. Stoll met Buzz Aldrin there. And it was really interesting to sort of see the fictional person and the real person together sort of talking <laughs> to each other. It was a little surreal. Yeah, yeah by, the, by, well, the that... by the time we had this, this event at Kennedy Space Center for the media, we'd already had a relationship with the cast and the crew anyway. I mean, didn't, yeah. Yeah. We'd, we'd brought them down to Johnson before and uh, and out to Kennedy. And so they'd, they'd seen that stuff and, and we'd talked to them before and, and they were really into it. Um, I remember uh, we brought... Uh, um, Ryan Gosling through the uh, lunar curation facility place, and he was just amazed at you know, you know, getting to actually look at rocks, you know, hopping around in his bunny suit there uh, with all the rest of us, and nobody could, could find tell who he was. But uh, <laughs> but but he had a great time there, and he got to put on an actual real spacesuit and try out some of that stuff. And, and we walked him along the Saturn V um, down there at Johnson, and and uh, and he asked a lot of really good questions about. Uh, about things that, that clearly showed that he was doing his homework. Well, I'm very curious to hear what they had to say. So, you know, why don't we bring in some of those questions, Bob, that you were asking them. Um, we can start with the cast. We'll go with uh, Ryan Gosling and Claire Foy together. Then we have Patrick Fuja and Luke at, Lucas Haas. Uh, and then we'll and we'll wrap it up with uh, Olivia Hamilton at the end there. So let's, let's start with that, and we'll come back and kind of uh, discuss what they talked about. First off... Uh, Thanks for doing this. Uh, an easy one. Did doing the movie make you change the way you think about the moon? In any way? Did you look at it one way before and afterwards? You thought, wow, we've been there. <laughs> but wow, Ryan's been there. <laughs> <laughs> you know we didn't actually go there, right? <laughs> I don't know if that's in the press notes, but that's, <laughs> that's wrong. Uh, yeah, I think this movie changed the way I think about uh, a lot of things, you know? I realized just how little I knew about all of it, and uh, it was just um, it, it was just it was just an incredible experience uh, all the way around. I definitely look at it differently now, quite wistfully out the window. Well, I didn't before, but just more wistful. Our Is that what you're doing? <laughs> you're always wistfully looking out the yeah, window. At the moon. Yeah. Oh. Our impression from the film, I mean, it was very intimate. I mean it. Everything was so powerful and so close. Uh, was it hard to turn that off after you finished a day's work? I mean, what, you know, did you were there days that okay, I've got to go play with puppies or something? I mean, because there was so <laughs> much seriousness and so much emotional intensity. <clears throat> pardon me, that was going on at the time. Um. I always want to go and play with puppies. <laughs> All the time. Good or bad day at work, I just, any chance. Um, I don't know, I felt like, um, I felt very fulfilled doing this film. I felt like, um, and then I think when you go home it's easy to leave uh, the work where the work is because you, I think you don't take it home with you because you're not kind of going over it for hours and hours afterwards going, what did I do wrong? How can I change that? Um, I just felt, like we go to work and we really got a chance to kind of explore it and investigate it and so it felt kind of done when, when I left. Yeah there was um, also the way that the film was structured and the way that we shot there just was such a momentum to it mm -hmm. that there was always uh, you know another challenge ne the next day to prepare for. We started with shooting just uh, 
um, most of the, the interactions between um, the family. And then we went on to the X-15 and then to the Gemini 8 and then we ended with the um, Apollo 13 and the, and the moon landing. So, I mean, Apollo 11 and the, and, the <laughs> and the moon landing. So it just was constantly escalating and there was never an opportunity to uh, really um, to stop, you know, we, we just, uh, it was a, it was an incredible opportunity, but it, f it just felt like a great responsibility. Is it harder to play uh, a role of someone of, of a historic figure? Now, of course, you're just coming off the crown. You know, the queen is still very much uh, around. Uh, for Neil, you've got, uh, you know, of course, the family who is still there. Is it, is it more challenging for someone who's real as opposed to a fictional character in a script or a movie? I think it comes with different challenges. Um, uh, I find the challenge if, if I'm just playing a fictional character is to believe that I'm making the right decision um, all the time. Whereas I feel like if you're playing somebody who has lived or is alive and you have that to go on, even if it's a fictional character in a book and you have that kind of background, it means that at least you know what the facts are that you have mm -hmm. to stick within, which I always, you can't wildly, you know, give your character a limp or <laughs> um, do something really an odd choice you have to stick with kind of the reality of it so I quite enjoy that I quite enjoy knowing what I can and can't do um, and then working within it would you go to the moon Brian would you fly no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. okay guys that's our time <laughs> Bob Jacobs NASA television guys thank you for doing this uh, Tell me, what did you learn about NASA that you didn't know going into the project? Was there anything specific? Were you space fans to begin with? I was a big space fan, um, but uh, I mean, it's a tough question because I learned so much. You know, there's a lot of specific things that I learned. I mean, um, uh, I wouldn't even know where to start. There's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah, I. I um like I say this a lot, but like I grew up in Utah with a very sort of traditional, conventional uh, uh, perspective of NASA and, and space exploration. Um, but uh, coming coming here and going to Houston and everything really gave me a look into like how the people think and like what what the programs sort of filter on you know problem solving, life mm -hmm. goal achievement, that sort of thing is, and. Um, and then also with the film, it's like what it took for the people of this era to actually accomplish the feats, um, which is fascinating, fascinating stuff that I had, I'd never known before that. One thing I think that I learned is, uh, that sort of fascinates me the most, is there is NASA's way of dissecting a problem, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, sort of the, 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 the thought process is, you know, as a, as a, you know, I can't, I can't even describe it because it's so comp. All the things are so complicated, and, and um, but what an amazing experience this has been. Now, now you were in full suit. Uh, I can't remember if you were in full suit nope. at any time, but you were. You know, does the clothing, does the setting help you get into character? Or oh, absolutely. You know, could you do it if you were just walking around the way you were now? Uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, you, the the clothing was very specific and particularly the way Elliot C dressed was very sort of uh, straight cut you know conventional reserved kind of
kind of thing. And I honestly, the clothes, like the pants, really helped me a lot. Like, <laughs> like uh, I had the high-waisted, you know, uh, pleated khakis and that sort of thing. But you have the real cool stuff. Uh, yeah, all the the definitely the spacesuit stuff was. Yeah, I mean, you can't. You literally, you couldn't not like do it wrong if you tried because you're just <laughs> you're in it. You know, there's there's nothing you can do. You're stuck in that spacesuit. But it's. It's it's a very weird experience. I mean, you can't you know you can't scratch an itch. It, that's sort of the the one thing that sort of stuck out for whatever reason. I would just have these itches, and they would kind of move across my body, and I, there's just nothing I could do about it, you know. And you you can't tell anyone to itch it for you because you know they can't hear you, and you, yeah. you, all you hear is the 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 wish of the air going into your helmet, and. Um, but it, it's uh, you know it's also really it's cool to look back at the at the photos of yourself because it's just beautiful. I mean these the the helmets and the way that everything reflects off the glass and I mean it was it was just just really cool. Well, whether with NASA or you know the cadre of commercial companies that are coming online doing space exploration, uh, if offered the opportunity, would you go? Yes, I absolutely would. Yeah, absolutely. I, in fact, I kind of hope that, <laughs> I, that I, I, it probably will never happen, but it would be, be, be really cool, definitely. All right, thank you. Did either of you learn more about NASA once you got into it than you did going in? Obviously, you had a, you know, you've had a lifetime of being yes. in the agency, but you know, was there anything new in for you? Uh, you know, yeah. How was space exploration for you before you got into the role? I was, yeah, no, I, I had no idea, honestly, how much it took to get to the moon and how many um, sacrifices and lives and money and ingenuity went into it. And I, I loved, um, I love that the movie talks about this, but I love the, that every mission had the goal of kind of pushing beyond where we were at and, and that you have to fail in order to succeed and that that was sort of in the ethos of NASA. Um, I found that really inspiring. So, you know, it's interesting. You said especially Patrick Fuja and Lucas Haas were so excited, but it sounds like what really changed was their perspective and appreciation for what they do. It's almost like they took the role itself as a learning exercise. Like, oh, I didn't really realize that NASA do that. And it was important to understand what NASA does and how it operates in order to portray it. Did you get a sense of that, Bob? Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things... I, I worry sometimes that we dismiss what actors and directors and producers go through uh, because we see them in a role and we don't see all the homework that went into it before they actually played that role. So it's like, oh, what do they know? They're, they're an actor who, who, you know, is doing X, Y, Z. And, mm -hmm. and it's clear that everyone really did their homework. They, whether they were into it at the beginning or not, by the time they got to it, they were really into it because <laughs> they, you know, they got to see and learn so much about our history and how we got from, you know, then to now. Uh, and I think one of the things that the film captures uh, really well is risk. And it's <laughs> something that other films haven't, and, and they don't talk about it. I mean, it is a it is a story element and you see it played out in the film, but there's a visual aspect that they capture in the execution of the missions that I don't think you really saw 
before. I think the closest one for me probably would have been Apollo 13, uh, just because of all the weightlessness that they shot there, and and they did that in this movie too. But there's a there there's just something more. Uh, I I don't know how to explain it, and I don't want to give too much away for people who haven't seen it. But there there is a they do address risk in a way that I think is is unique uh, to this to this film. And I think that risk, and maybe Bill, you can speak a little bit more on this, is kind of why a lot of them, especially, I was I was laughing real hard when I heard Ryan just say, you know, you asked, do you want to go to the moon? And he's like, no. He just said outright, just no. And I think it was it was not because he just wasn't interested, but I th- it, maybe I, how I interpreted it was it was more of an understanding of how much risk goes into these space flights to understand the dangers and the pressures of being an astronaut. It's it's a lot to take on. Well, and I think part of it too is also they I think they developed a real appreciation for just how much work goes into. Uh, you know, a mission like this. It's not, it's not yeah. like, you know, you get picked to be an astronaut and the next day you go climb in a space capsule and go land on the moon. You know, it's years and years of dedication to, uh, you know, an effort like that. And I, I, I think that, you know, particularly the, the cast in this movie, but also other movies that we've worked on have um, usually come away with a, a real appreciation for, you know, how hard um, all of us at NASA work to you know, do whatever it is that our job is. Um, and, uh, and, of course, particularly that, that shows that on the pointy end of the spear with the astronauts who get to go do this. But, but they also see you know, at, at the working level for all the rest of us you know, how much effort goes into it and how dedicated we are and how much we love what we do. I think the computer, the computer graphics got to the point around gravity that it could accurately depict what human spaceflight is really like in a way yeah. that engages the public. Up until then, you know, we, we you saw a lot of sci-fi and a lot of space movies, but, you know, Star Trek, for example, which everyone loves if they're not a Star Wars fan. And, uh, <laughs> and most of us around, yeah, most of us around here are what I call Vi-Sci, uh, <laughs> where, where we like both. But there's a lot that's taken for granted. You know, if you're on the Star, if you're on the Enterprise, there's gravity, there's air, food magically appears. They just transport themselves somewhere. And, and in a way, you know, people grew up watching that, just think that space flight's easy. You know, it's 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 so simple. We should be flying at you know warp nine somewhere, and uh, and the movies. I I think the and, and really through the work of Bert. And I'm not uh, just trying to pat Bert on the back here uh, with him sitting right next to me, but it's through that kind of work where uh, producers and writers have found that there's a way to tell a realistic space exploration story that's interesting, uh, that that can grab an audience. And I think uh, that's been missing up until really the past decade. And also we have receptive management, I mean, that wants to take on these projects, which is really, really great. I mean, we have, Mm. there's such enthusiasm around it, which is wonderful. And it's important to have that here too, which we do have. Yeah. And enthusiasm was a big part of it. You were even talking about, you know, when you take on a big project like this, you want to make sure the history is accurate, but you also wanted to make sure the family was supporting it too, because it's a part of, of NASA and people are, real people are being represented here. And Bob, you got to actually talk to some of the family members. Uh, how was that? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it was interesting. And like I said, at the, uh, at the beginning, you know, it was important for, uh, to know that Rick and Mark uh, Neil's sons were supportive, and at the time, uh, their mother Janet was alive. Unfortunately, she passed away 
uh, from cancer before the film was was released. But I know Ryan had an opportunity to to speak with her. I know that was a regret of Claire's of uh, not being able to speak with Janet uh, before mm. before Janet died. But uh, but it it was really interesting, as Bert pointed out, to have uh, the actor and the person they're portraying interact and. You know, so we so we have you know, for example, the actress who is playing Ed White's uh, wife uh, sitting next to Ed White's daughter, and uh, and in kind of getting an understanding of, you know, for an actor sometimes it's the it's the promotion of the film, but for these people it was their lives, and for her she lost her father uh, as mm. part of the as part of the space program. And yet to listen to her uh, talk about and, and be supportive of what it is that we're going to do in the future uh, really meant a lot. I mean, you, it, you, you just weren't uh, ignoring it or playing it off because it was part of, of Hollywood speak. Uh, you know, you, you watch so much uh, on television and it's about who they're wearing or, yeah. uh, or all this superficial stuff of who they're dating and, and, uh, and for us, it's very personal because these people were real and, uh, and we, we just want to make sure that they get it right. And it was, again, interesting to see the actors uh, be so not only respectful of the characters that they were playing, but again, get so interested in the topic. And that's the beauty of this movie, too, because you see these people as human beings. And I think that the danger that happens when, when you see these heroes that have gone up and done these amazing feats up in space is you think they're in bronze or you think they're statues, but in reality, they're human beings. And that's the beauty of this movie, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. So let's let's jump ahead to those interviews. Uh, you, you talked with Mark and Rick Armstrong and then Bonnie White Bear. Let's go ahead and jump to that. What makes you guys so awesome? <laughs> no, thanks for doing this. Uh, you know, had a, had an opportunity to see the film last night, uh, the first time outside of uh, kind of reviewing some of the scripts early on. Um, what was it like for you guys viewing it? Kind of, I know you worked on it, but you know, when you're actually seeing it on the screen, screen, and you actually lived it, was what what were your feelings like at that time? Well, Bob, I think. Uh you know, as like you, we, we saw very early versions of the script and we've been involved with the project uh, for, for quite a while now. So, so the, th the things that happened weren't so much a surprise. Uh, I think what was, what was surprising for me anyway was the, uh, the strength of the performances and the music. I mean, I, those are things I did not, I couldn't anticipate, mm -hmm. but I felt that, that uh, those were just, uh, were, were just tremendous. Well, did you, you know, look at a scene and go, wow, our couch was like that, or, or no, Mark really didn't do that to me? Well, actually, the, the, the living room, the Alaga living room was very much like, uh, like it really was. That was accurate. There was a scene uh, that we had, I hadn't seen before, uh, where I'm in my room with, with mom and I'm complaining that someone's messed up my crayons and everything like that. And although that exact scene didn't happen, that kind of scene happened all the time. So, so it's true. He was, he was always a, complaining. I had an alarm. I had to put an alarm on my door to keep him out from doing that stuff. Was it? Uh, was it? You know, a lot of the emotion. The, to me, the film was very intimate. It was very emotional throughout the entire thing. Was it? Was it? Uh, 
you know, you guys lived through that uh, in reality. What was it like for you? I, I think yeah, the that, first time we saw it, definitely. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. I think it is uh, an, in, an inside, a sort of behind the curtain uh, look at, at what was going on at that time. And, and I feel very good about the way our families portrayed and, and, and the way the, you know, relationships in general are portrayed. I think it gives a, 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 a realness to the, uh, that, that, that many people don't have. They kind of, they have a, 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 this view of, uh, of sort of a glamorous view of, uh, of things. And it was, just, it was just people working hard, trying to do their job and, and, and make the mission succeed. There were a number of improvised scenes uh, uh, at the house or mm -hmm. in the pool or whatever that that we didn't consult on really, but uh, that I can remember anyway. But we're very like, yeah, I remember stuff like that. I remember Dad picking us up and you know trying to stuff us somewhere, chasing around, hide and seek in the house. I mean yeah. that kind of stuff. You know, us put there was somebody putting a wallet on his head or something like that. Yeah, yeah we did all that kind of stuff. So they, they uh, somehow they tapped into that uh, without you know us directly saying it. That I really enjoyed seeing that. You know, after the seeing the film uh, and speaking with you, Rick, last last night, uh, you know, I kind of touched on the you know to us, you know, Neil Armstrong is this iconic character, uh, a hero. Uh, to us, to you, it was mom and dad that you were dealing with. Um, yeah. Was there any a time that that it hit you who he was? Uh, that this was he was an iconic uh, hero figure, known worldwide. It really, I don't think it's ever really hit me yeah. that way. I mean, I I understand that it ought to, uh, so I can work out that yeah, it should, but. But I don't know that it ever has, and I'm not sure that it ever will in the way that, that you're describing. And you know, uh, still you know, working he on. He was it. just dad at yeah. home, and yeah. and we were just a you know we were just a, a normal family, and and so that that never changed. That what that was true before, that was true after. That was that was a constant um, in our in our lives, and and I think that was very intentional on the part of our parents. Guys, thank you. Congratulations on the film. Thank you, Thanks. Bob. I think you guys were the hardest ones to think about how to interview because risk is a big theme in the film, and the film deals with it, I think, in ways that other space movies haven't. So I was, I was wondering both how, how it impacted you when you were having to relive the tra tragedy over again and for you playing someone who was right next to you, basically. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, it certainly um, did bring bring up a, a lot of things, and um, certainly uh, tough times. But um, you know, I was very, very touched and and proud and happy with how this was all handled. And I think it was something that needed needed to be told. You know, and uh, we we all got there as a country, but there was a price that was paid. You know, and. And, um, but at the end of the day, we accomplished our mission. Do you still support but, exploration? Oh, I do, yes. 
Yeah, you can definitely get a sense of the passion and uh, just, you know, they, they were kind of reflecting on their own lives as the uh, film was happening. So, yes, that represent that representation is definitely important to the family. Uh, you know, I talked with uh, uh, Jim Breinstein on, on the podcast recently uh, because when he first got here, he talked about the NASA family. And I feel like that's something that even, you know, I could definitely feel it here in Houston. I'm sure you feel it at headquarters. What is that? What is the NASA family? Do you guys feel it? Yeah, I think yeah. that's, you know, and I'll, I'll, my apologies for jumping in on that, but because uh, uh, there are two other people here and I'll shut up. But, uh, <laughs> but it, there really is this sense of wanting to be a part of something greater than. And, and after that, the word than, it's kind of open-ended. And, you know, we're not, not to dismiss the work of, of any other agency or any other corporation, uh, you know, that instills that same type of spirit. But there's something about NASA that, that just gets people excited. They want to they work together. They want to achieve something that hasn't been achieved before. And, uh, and it does. I think it, it kind of uh, brings everyone together and there's a glue that holds people together uh, like a family. Yeah, as government employees, we take these annual surveys to see what we think about our jobs. And, and consistently, NASA comes out uh, as one of the best places to work in government um, year after year. I think largely because people love the mission. You know, people are here because they, you know, they, they love what we do and, and it excites them. Uh, you know, not that people who work for the Department of Agriculture aren't interested in their jobs, but uh, I think people come to NASA uh, with a, a real appreciation for the opportunities that they have to spend taxpayer dollars doing really interesting stuff that will make an impact on, you know, not not just our current world, but the future world. Uh, and, and that really, you know, at, at the end of the day, that really sort of, I think, jazzes a lot of people. And, and, and to be able to do that with other people who feel the same way, you know, but... Yeah, you know, that's that's the family feeling, I think, and and I think we all benefit from that. And sometimes we really feel the family, you know, feeling, the the good family feeling, uh, around anniversaries as well. When everyone's gathering together, generations of people that have been at this agency that get together, and there's this sort of common bond. And I think you can't take that away. And I think it's really inherent here when you work here because there is an inner passion, and it's a very special place to be. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, I've been doing, I don't even know how many episodes of the podcast at this point, but just everyone I talk to, it's it's such a pleasure because when I bring them in the booth and I want to know the the information, really, uh, I get to know a little bit about them, the, the, the folks I'm interviewing and the people that are behind these missions. And I can tell you every single one of them are very passionate about what they're doing. And I think that's really important to kind of get across. And I think that's a good, you know, Bill, you mentioned, you know, make sure the taxpayers are getting what they want. I think working with these where these um, uh, filmmakers and accurately portraying NASA and making sure people kind of feel a part of it and understand the culture here is so important and working with uh, the director screenplay uh, screenplay writer Josh Singer and, and director Damien Chazelle I think was a huge part of that so so why don't we jump ahead to that interview uh, uh, Bob and then we'll come back and talk about how how telling this story is so important when some when you get approached for the script, is it, you know, oh my gosh, what a wonderful opportunity, or, oh my God, how do I tell this story of someone so iconic? <laughs> uh, it was both. 
Absolutely both. Um, uh, you know, it started for me with reading Jim Hansen's book, First Man, about Neil, and uh, just sort of being amazed by realizing how much I didn't know. You know, I thought I had a, a rough handle on uh, Neil Armstrong as an individual and the moon landing, but reading this book, I mean, I, 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 there was so much about his life and about the mission itself that I just didn't know, and I was amazed to find out how uh, how difficult this this mission really was, you know, uh, um, I think history has a way maybe of of obfuscating some of those details, and you sort of look back 50 years hence and think, well, these were superheroes, and they sort of you know accomplished it. It was almost easy for them, um, and to see the sacrifice, to see the cost, to see the uh, the doubt and uncertainty, and, and just the insane commitment to a goal that it took, I think was really inspiring. Uh, but it made me, and I think everyone involved in the film, feel a tremendous responsibility. You know, it's like, uh, these were real heroes and you want to try to do them justice. I was going to go there next. It's, uh, you know, is, is there a, a different kind of weight between yeah. a fictional film and something that is rooted uh, in history? Uh, absolutely. I mean, this was my first time doing a movie uh, about history that wasn't just, you know, not something I just came up with. Um, and uh, so I think, yeah, I felt uh, an added responsibility for sure. And, and I think that was part of the reason why uh, we, we tried to and we were so lucky to be able to uh, just spend as much time as possible with people who knew the reality, uh, people who knew Neil, like his sons, Rick and Mark, and, 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 and his ex-wife Janet, uh, other members of his family, colleagues of his, uh, everyone at NASA that we could talk to. We were lucky enough to shoot here for a little bit. We were lucky enough to uh, uh, get to go to Houston a bunch and research there. Um, NASA really opened its doors to us in a way that was just tremendously generous of them, and uh, without which I, I, I don't think we would have been able to make the movie, because if you can't do it authentically, if you can't try to do it accurately, it felt like it wasn't worth doing it at all. I think the thing that struck me in watching the film was both the capture of the human elements and the human drama and the intimacy and the emotion, but at the same time, the the hardware, the risk. I mm -hmm. mean, it, it was both this reality and special effects and reality and and the human reality. I yeah. don't know if that makes sense or not. But. Totally, yeah. I mean, that, that was actually kind of, in many ways, the uh, the goal was, we sort of knew we had two movies in a way. We had the movie that was on the ground, the family portrait, essentially, of the Armstrongs at this incredible time in their life. And then, of course, we had the space movie. We had the movie of these missions. And we wanted them to feel like the same movie. So we shot everything in the same sort of documentary style. We were taking a lot of inspiration from documentaries of the period and archival footage, uh, you know, that the astronauts themselves shot and the Life magazine photography of the Armstrongs and other astronaut families at that time. You know, just a tremendous amount of resources visually that we had to just draw inspiration from. Um, but we wanted the audience to feel like they were there, whether it was in the house or in the capsule, like the audience themselves were, you know, uh, uh, right there in the rooms with Neil and Janet and right there in the capsule with Neil and Dave Scott or Neil and Mike and Buzz. Um, and um, so, again, to get that right, you know, uh, uh, took a lot of research, but, uh, but we were really lucky to have collaborators you know, of mine, the production designer Nathan Crowley and Lena Sangren who did the camera work and Mary Zoffries who did the costumes, just everyone was so uh, uh, on the same page about how important it was to get this right and to not just wing it. Um, and so I think that helped a lot. Yes or no uh, question. Would yeah. you go? Would I go? To space? Yeah, would you <coughs> offer the opportunity? Uh, I would love to. My worry is that, and why I might veer towards no, is that I might just be too damn afraid. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it.
you know, the first thing that came to mind when I heard that the two of you were doing this together was how do you bridge the gap between a historian who is capturing the facts of what had happened and a screenwriter who's trying to plug into the emotion? How, how did you guys actually work it out? Well, we think that is such a good question that we actually talked about this on set and have are publishing a book where the script is published. But then on the right-hand side of the page, the script's on the left-hand side, the right-hand side is a running conversation between Josh and I about what's over there on, in the script. Because we had conversations about, about it all. I mean, if there's something that's going to you know, not be 100% historically accurate, we wanted to go ahead and, and admit to it and explain to the, to the viewer of the movie and to the reader of the book well, why did we make that decision? You know, why, why did we choose, why couldn't we go with it? So it really is, if you read our book, uh, you'll be able to see kind of the exchange that we had over the course of many months uh, to sort of work out these issues. Yeah, I, I would say that, um, you know, the, the good news here was that uh, both Damien and I were pretty committed to giving a very accurate representation, both of the missions and also of uh, the, the private life of, you know, of one of the more famous astronaut families uh, uh, there, there's been. And so, you know, we were uh, committed to working with Jim uh, to not only, you know, take in, you know, try to take in as, as much of his book as we could, which, which is encyclopedic and incredible, um, but then also push beyond. And, and that meant sitting with Jim, Having Jim introduce us to folks, you know, whether it's Gene Matranga, uh, who's an engineer who uh, worked with Neil on the X-15, or Mark and Rick, you know, and Janet and June, Neil's sister, um, uh, you know, Frank Hughes, Joe Engel, uh, uh, Dave Scott, you know, ripped us apart in early drafts of the script, <laughs> which was really helpful, you know, to say, okay, this isn't going to stand. If we want to, if we really want to meet Neil's bar, we're going to have to up our game. Um, and uh, we were very committed to that, again, both in the personal and in the professional. Uh, and, uh, and Jim really was our, our guide in terms of, you know, obviously his book is incredible, and then when we wanted to go beyond to, to help us reach out. So when you first get a project like this, especially with someone so iconic, so much written about him in history, uh, so well known, do you look at it as, oh my God, what a great opportunity? or? Oh my God! What have I gotten myself into? Well, you know, you say well known, and in a sense, he, he's in every all the history books, but not really well known. I mean, yeah. he's known as this shadowy figure coming down the ladder and making saying these saying these famous words, but really, in terms of his personal story and even a lot of things about his career, you know, right. as in, from everything from naval aviation to his test pilot years, and then what happened to him afterwards, not really terribly well known. And so, I think what was really great about the film is that they, they, they understood what was new from my book, and they knew, and they knew how, where that needed to, needed to be enhanced. And so it was. It's this is a completely fresh look at Armstrong. Even people who lived through and were were alive and watched the TV, they really, you know, they got PR uh, explanations of Armstrong's career, and they got Life magazine coverage. But they didn't. They didn't really get the authentic story of what was going on inside his personal life. You know, the book covered that, and the movie really does a yeah, great that, job. Yeah, that was the amazing thing to me about reading Jim's book, was how much was not known, really, to the wider public. You know, uh, I mean, Jim said himself, most of his friends didn't know he had a daughter, let alone the wider public. Uh, you know, or that he had 
lost a daughter shortly before he joined Project Gemini. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the fact that, you know, little facts, you know, I would talk to really, you know, uh, you know, NASA historians I would talk to uh, about, you know, uh, mention Paul Bickle and the fact that Bickle didn't recommend Neil for Project Gemini, you know, or the astronaut program. And, and they'd be like, where'd you get that? Where's that from? <laughs> well, it's from Jim's book, you know, but it's not widely known, you know, uh, uh, and, and I think that there is so much about this story that is surprising, uh, uh, you know, in terms of the journey and how hard it was. Uh, you know, Jim and I have talked about, I feel like there's a little bit of a meta-narrative uh, that sugarcoats everything, you know, that it, it seems like going to the moon was easy. It seems like these were superheroes who did it. Uh, well, no, they were ordinary folks who worked very, very hard and sacrificed greatly. Uh, it wasn't easy at all. And frankly, to me, that's much more inspiring. And it makes me think, oh, all those great things we want to try to achieve as, as a civilization, as a nation, uh, you know, it, it makes me feel like they are more achievable as opposed to less because it makes me understand, no, it's not that they had some magic sauce back in the 60s. It's that they were willing to put in the work and to sacrifice, both in terms of, you know, personal sacrifice, personal cost, but also in terms of, you know, lives. And that's what we'll need to do if we want to, you know, achieve great things in the future. Gentlemen, thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. So a huge part, and, and Bill, you touched on this a little bit, was it was going back and sort of working with them to flush out. You, you said this is this is not a documentary. This is not. It, it's different. It's a feature story, and they have a drama to tell. So you know, how do we? When we're talking about the history, where are you finding it? You know, what 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 sources are you pulling from to make sure that we're telling the right story? Oh, well, of course, you know, NASA's had a history program since a year after it was founded. So uh, the history program has been around since 1959. So we have a pretty good archive in addition to the national archives, which are collected anyway. But but we have a pretty good you know set of reference materials right on site here. Uh, and we also have the advantage of lots of people who have been working here a long time and knowing people who used to work here. So we you know, reach out to the Alumni League and, and other you know, former folks who you know, worked here. So uh, there is no end of, uh, of resources to, to check facts on. Um, and, uh, and, and we, you know, when we, when a question comes up, you know, we, we go where the, go where the data is and, and, uh, and make sure it's presented appropriately to the, the folks who are asking the question. And Bill's mm -hmm. really, really smart. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. I have, I've, I've made my living on being able to remember weird and random facts that no one else really wants to know. So. All right. Trivia partner secured. Nice. Um, yeah, thinking back, you know, especially we, we listed off a couple of movies, especially recently that we've been working with. You mentioned Interstellar. You mentioned, mentioned The Martian. Um, I think there's this sort of shift now, and I, I don't know if you guys can kind of sense the same thing, which is which is going more towards the responsibility of accuracy and making sure that accuracy, even in fiction, whether historical or a fictional piece of work, is is representing. Are you guys getting a sense of that? That 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 uh, filmmakers and and documentary writers want even more accuracy than maybe in the past. You know, I, 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 it's interesting. I'm, I'm seeing lines cross, and, and I don't mean this in a, a mean way for some of the documentary producers, but mm -hmm. I see, mm -hmm. I see documentaries leaning more toward the salacious yeah. and hyping, yeah. and the really? film, and the film industry being able to portray it more accurately without <laughs> the hype. 
and uh, you know, and it's all about building an audience. And uh, and and again, we're just really sensitive to it. Again, we kind of use this feasible fiction idea as our guide, and and we've just, you know, in the end, it boils down to how successful is the project going to be, and with you know, when one one space film does well other studios are going hmm we can make yeah. money off that let's <laughs> let's let's do a space film and uh you know so i you know clearly it's it's a business and and the industry wants to do well and i think we've been fortunate to benefit from from the interest and from the success of some of the earlier projects and i think that once people sort of get into it they they become you know trivia geeks like the rest of us you know they, they start getting interested in it and they and they want it to be as accurate as possible so you you've got set designers who want you know, the sets to look right and you've got you know customers who you know do you have a picture of uh, the clean room from you know x date so we want to make sure that the jackets the guys are wearing in the clean room look right and have the right logos on the back uh, we get all kinds of questions like that all the time uh, hmm. sometimes the appetite for this sort of information is uh, insatiable and, yeah uh, <laughs> For, for hidden figures, uh, fortunately for me, um, I, I, the, the director started sending me questions, and I figured out that there are other people who knew the answers more than I did, and I was able to farm them out. And next thing you know, um, yeah, I'd be hearing back from the director saying, hey, thanks for pointing us on to this guy, because they pointed us on to this guy who gave us this answer about this other thing. And and pretty soon, I, I, I'm convinced that, at least on hidden figures anyway, probably about a third of the people who work for NASA must have answered a question uh, for those guys, because they, <laughs> they asked all kinds of things to all kinds of people. Uh, and they, and, and you know, we gave them the data they wanted, and they ran with it. That's so curious. I, I think I find it fascinating that uh, just maybe the, the shift, like you said, with the documentary uh, stories and the uh, feature stories. I think that's that's fascinating. But just how accurate C itself. You know, you see a successful film that portrays accurate science, and other you know filmmakers and writers look at that as a successful project and think, ooh. I'm going to make something like that. And then it spreads, you know, now you have yeah. spreading accurate information. I think I would define that as success on NASA's part. You know, I think we also have a smarter audience, quite frankly, because there's, uh, there's so uh, much yeah. documentary content that's, that's generated f from the industry because of cable television. I mean, between discoveries, national geographic history channels, all these channels are looking for content and a lot, although some do cross the line, others try to tell the story as well. And I just think the public just gets smarter and smarter and gets more curious through this sort of, you know, informational exchange. And that's actually that's actually a really good thing, I think. Yeah, I, and there's so much material, for example, on the NASA website about uh, you know historical facts that uh, it's really easy for people to quickly fact check something that they see in a movie. It's like, did that really happen? And they can actually look it up and find yeah. out. Um, and I, I don't know whether that plays a positive impact or not, but I think uh, you know movie producers don't want their movie being um, uh, criticized for you know you know fiddling with the truth, and so it's important to them to get as many details as as accurate as as possible. And the beauty of First Man also is that it's sort of dispelling, hopefully helping to dispel the you know the conspiracy myth about the moon, and which oh. which Bob has been fighting. For. For many years and we've had people that have helped us out like Mythbusters and others to help sort of I don't know if you want to talk about that Bob at all oh yeah no that was uh you know and 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 it's interesting I've been at NASA long enough now that I see these 
these the the pendulum swing back and forth and uh, there was a I, I'm not going to uh, dignify the the network that aired the so-called documentary but <laughs> it challenged whether or not we actually landed on the moon uh, yeah. and as a conspiracy and uh, so we we had a conversation with the executive producer of at the time Mythbusters and and said you know no one's really taken this on if you guys are interested let us know and they ended up doing, I think it was a two-hour premiere for one of the seasons, taking on whether or not we really landed on the moon. And, of course, concluded that we did. But, you know, fast forward to 2018, I don't know how many people actually remember that broadcast. So it, 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 it's, it are things that, you know, we constantly deal with. We'll hammer it flat for a little while, and then it'll come back. You know, one of the... And one of the things that I find a little sad is, for example, one of the other cable channels has, you know, the hidden inside NASA untold Secret story files. files or, you know, something crazy like that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they, they, they tell this story of uh, Apollo 10 where the spacecraft, the command module and lunar module separated and there was this weird tone and it was, could it be aliens? Could it be UFOs? And uh, mm. and people were running around trying to figure it out. Now, once we got down to it, we realized that even Mike Collins dealt with it in in his in a 1974 book. But at any rate, uh, <laughs> people were running around trying to figure it out because we were getting media inquiries, and it was like, well, I'll just call. And I picked up the phone and called Gene Cernan. And, and Gene was like, well, I bet I know why you're calling, and started going, ooh. <laughs> um, you know, so he, he explained it to us, but, you know, we're running into a time now where we're losing those, those first generation of explorers, and we're yeah. not going to have them to go to anymore. So it, it really is important uh, to have people like Bill around and the work that the history offices do across the agency to capture it because, again, we're just not going to be able to pick up the phone and call someone who walked on the moon to ask them the question. We've only got four left uh, who have walked on the moon. And, uh, uh, and uh, you know, we, we just have to capture their stories and continually find ways uh, to keep those stories alive as we start leaning into what's next so people don't forget yeah i feel like uh you know it's it's not it's gonna be i i would i would think impossible to get everyone on board and say yep the moon landing totally happened and that is fact <laughs> and there's no questions about it you know i feel like conspiracies they're just they're just gonna be out there we have we have quite a few out there even now but you know i, I kind of wanted to start with this point but i think it's a good place to end based on the this conversation is what is the purpose of communicating here at NASA. Bob, especially from your perspective as the acting associate administrator of communications, why do we need to communicate? Well, I think it's based in our founding documentation where the original 1958 Space Act says that we're going to share to the widest practicable uh, and I don't know that anyone's ever used the word practicable in a sentence before, <laughs> but it's in that documentation. First time for everything. But, you know, but it's in that documentation, and it's evolved uh, yeah. where, you know, the very essence of why NASA was created was that 
in the Cold War, you know, the Soviet Union had a very closed-off militaristic space program that wasn't open, and NASA was founded as a civilian space agency, and everything was going to be available. And I think historically we've done that from our triumphs and our tragedies. Uh, we're very public. And, and I think that's our role, is to help facilitate that story and to help uh, present it to the public. And, and whether it's through the factual information that we do through our news releases and our scientific and technical findings and our missions, or whether it's through movies and documentaries and, and toys where Lego is doing a series or uh, uh, collector figures where American Girl did a Hispanic explorer who wants to go to Mars one day. I mean, they all play a role in helping share what it is that the agency does. And, it, and, and to me, again, it's more than just sending a spacecraft to go land on a point on another planet. You know, it, it kind of gets to, to, to addressing some of those fundamental issues of humanity. You know, are we alone? Where did we come from? Uh, and where are we going? You know, is this survival of the species or is this something that we do just because it's interesting and fun and that's what great nations do? So, again, that's, that's kind of a long-winded answer, but it gets to, I think, the crux of why it is that we communicate, and that is to share the story of, of our future and where we're going. I think that is a beautiful summary. Bob, Bert, and Bill, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time, especially all three of you together. And Bob, special thanks to you for interviewing the guest for First Man and then actually bringing it here on the show, and we can actually have a discussion around it. This was fascinating, so thank you again. Thank you. No, That's we great. appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks for sticking around. So today we talked with Bob Jacobs, Bert Ulrich, and Bill Barry, and the uh, cast and crew of the movie First Man. So uh, we appreciate them coming on. This is coming up in the middle of uh, some of the 50th anniversary of the Apollo program and the missions that coincide with that. If you want to know some of the history and some cool things that we're doing here at NASA, go to nasa.gov slash specials slash Apollo 50th. Uh, to learn more about what we're doing. Otherwise, you can check out some of our other podcasts we have all across the agency, Gravity Assist about planetary science, NASA in Silicon Valley from out in the Ames Research Center in California, and Rocket Ranch from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Uh, you can go to nasa.gov uh, to find out more about what we're doing all across the agency. Uh, you can go to our social media sites, uh, our at NASA, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform. Submit an idea for the show. Make sure to mention it's for Houston. We have a podcast. This episode was recorded on October 15th, 2018. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Norm Moran, Jim Wilson, Stephanie Scherholtz, Jason Townsend, and John Yembrick. Thanks to Bob Jacobs, Bert Ulrich, and Bill Barry for coming on the show today. And thanks to the actors and actresses, Ryan Gosling, Claire Foy, Patrick Fugit, Lucas Haas and Olivia Hamilton, screenwriter Josh Singer, 
author James Hansen, director Jamie and Giselle, and the family of the historic NASA astronauts, including Rick and Mark Armstrong and Bonnie White Bear from the movie First Man, for taking some time to speak with us. Happy 50th anniversary to NASA's Apollo program. We'll be back next week.